Good morning. My good, can you hear me? Okay. I want to tell a little story about the bottle of water. Uh, one of our children, we had the opportunity, uh, I had the opportunity to read scriptures at the wedding. And uh, in the middle of reading out of Ecclesiastes, I got a frog in my throat. And it was a big frog. And as I'm trying to finish this up in front of the bridal party, my voice got worse and worse. And and I was talking like this. And I could not get my voice clear. And what do you do in a situation like that? You really can't walk down and find water. So I finished. And uh, I, I felt really... Um, awkward about the whole situation and as it was a younger brother and you know brothers are ruthless a younger brother came up to me and he said um, he said Les that's the best imitation of Darth Vader's voice I've ever heard (laughs) and I decided at that point I probably should have water with me from then on when I preach so um, that's the story of the bottle of water I did want to say thank you to the leadership team and uh, for the opportunity to share. It's always a blessing to be able to come here and share. Uh, this is like family to us, and uh, we're always looking forward to when we can come back, and it's additional bonus to be able to stand up here and proclaim the message to you. Uh, all our children send greetings to the congregation. They're in uh, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, and Iowa now, and uh, They're all doing well. God's so faithful. And I wanted to just extend that greeting. And then I also felt it was important to give an update on Israel. As you know, we spent seven months in Israel last year and have desires and hopes to return to Israel as as missionaries. The the challenge has been COVID. Uh, COVID, when I say that word, everyone knows what it is. It has impacted life as we all know it to a very, um, sometimes a very limited extent on what we're capable of doing. But Israel is, uh, has shut down completely as a nation. They've implemented mandatory vaccinations. Over 50% of the population is vaccinated now. They feel they're seeing things turn um, within the nation, within the country, to where they want to start to let tourists return. Tourism now... You have to be um, vaccinated to travel into Israel, and there's a protocol to go through if you fly um, with the airlines. Some of those uh, requirements, Catherine and I have a little bit of a concern about at this point. We're still um, on a personal level, not sure how trusting we are with the whole vaccination thing, and so we're really praying for wisdom there. But... uh, the other aspect is the, the volunteer capability in Israel. That pathway has not even opened up again. The government has not revisited the, the, the whole volunteer program that they had that was in conjunction with the government. So we're in, a, we're in kind of a, a holding pattern. We're waiting and just asking the Lord for wisdom on uh, what we can do in the meantime, how we can be prepared it's not as simple as one day them saying, okay, you can come, because there's almost two and a half months of preparation with forms that you fill out, 
after you know you can go to get all the paperwork. So we'll just see what, what happens there. I do uh, ask that you continue to pray for that for us, that the Lord would give us wisdom and that we'd get a sense of what he's uh, um, saying through all this. Uh, for us, as I, I, as I share much with people when they ask, the bonus for us is we're here with family. You know, it's not like our heart's broken because we're not in Israel. We, we're a silver lining couple. We look for what we can say, God's allowing this in the midst of not allowing this. And to be with grandchildren and children and, and my mom and dad Kennedy, um, those are huge blessings that we're greatly appreciative of and we just thank god for that opportunity uh, the other thing i wanted to mention i think dave hauser's birthday is tomorrow and he's 80 going on 87 ish is that so happy birthday to both of you guys and and what a neat legacy and heritage you guys have have left with your hearts for the lord i just want to tell you how much I'm becoming a veteran of the faith I think because I'm getting old but I look to these gentlemen as true veterans of the faith and their their armor is dented their lives their sword still sharp but I can picture the battles that you've been through through your life and you you stand out as um, true heroes to me so praise God okay so in reaching out to the leadership team, I said I'd like the opportunity to share, if possible, just to catch everyone up to speed. And, and I'm looking forward to preaching if, if that's an opportunity. And, and they got back and said, we've got kind of a vision and a focus. And we're in 2021, we're thinking discipleship and evangelism is our, our theme. Well, that's like handing candy to a baby when you hand me discipleship and evangelism over the last month coincidentally the lord's been really working on my heart of the need for the church to become more purposeful it's no surprise as a missionary that i it resonates with me for the opportunity to share about the need and i want to thank brother warren for his sensitivity to the lord because i felt like the lord prefaced the need for the message when he, was, when he was prophesying this morning. So the title of the message is Making Him Known. And uh, most of the time, when you hear of a message that's being preached about the importance of, of uh, going and making disciples, Matthew 28, 20, 18 through 20 is a very common, typical passage that everyone leans on. But this morning, we're not going to use that passage. But I want to ask you a question. Why is it that we sing about this Jesus? Why is it that we praise this Jesus? Why is it that we relish hearing words coming from Jesus? We adore, we praise, we worship, but often... The church fails to proclaim to those who, do, who so desperately need this Jesus the importance of who he is. Why is that? Why, why can we be in such grand 
awe of our Savior, and there's a disconnect between that Savior that we love so much and going to the person that doesn't have him and not telling him about him. Because it's a true thing that's taken place in the church. And this morning I want to look at some passages that give us an indication of some of the objections that are being shared um, to, to justify being quiet about sharing about Jesus Christ. So um, I think it's interesting if you go to Matthew 10, verses 16 through 39, and I want to apologize here a little bit. I came and tried to sync passages, and I'm using a version that's a little different than what they, they could use on uh, the computer. We're going to Matthew 10, 16 through 39, and I'll read this, and I want to just explain that this was Jesus talking to his disciples just before he sent them out. You remember that story? Matthew 10, he's sending them out to try and do ministry. And so let's read this, I'll read, or just read along with me, I'll read and you can listen. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and in their synagogues. They will scourge you, yea, and before governors and kings shall you be brought for my namesake, or for my sake, for a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you, up, be not anxious how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that hour what you shall speak. For it is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father that speaketh in you. And brother shall deliver up brother to death, and the father his child, and children shall rise up against parents and cause him to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved." But when they persecute you in this city, flee into the next. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone through the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his teacher and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, Bub, how much more them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak ye in the light, and what you hear in, in the ear, proclaim upon the housetops. <clears throat> and be not afraid of them that kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them shall fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Even one, therefore, who shall confess me before men... Him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Think not that I came to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. 
For I came to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loses his life for my sake shall find it. Thus ends the reading of the Word of God out of Matthew. Picture what's going on here. All the disciples listening to Jesus say this. He's getting ready to send them forth. I can remember just coming out of high school, I I decided to, I wasn't a very good student in high school, so college didn't sound real appealing to me, but um, I thought, I can take vocational tech schooling, and I went to farm supply and elevator management, and uh, that was simply a 45-week-long course, and you sat in the class for a while, and then you went, and you did on-the-job training, and uh, you Normally, since it was an agricultural-related position, the summer and the fall, or excuse me, the spring and the fall were the most critical times to get us into the -the on-the-job training side of things. So I went to a local elevator about half hour from my home. Um, The school was an hour from my home, and uh, I had on-the-job training, and it was a neat opportunity to apply what I had heard in class at a practical level, and then went It was for eight weeks, then went back for another 15, 20 weeks, and then 15 weeks later, I was again on the job training. Well, this is on the job training for the disciples. Jesus has spent almost three years with the disciples as as their rabbi. He has been pouring into them, telling them and demonstrating how to do ministry. And he knew at some point... He was going to exit, okay? He knew well in advance he was going to be out of the picture. And he wanted to see how the disciples would do once uh, in in a capacity where they were on on on-the-job training and he could just see them go on their own. So he gives this passage of Scripture. He says this passage of Scripture to them. And I want to point out a couple things here. He did not paint a rosy picture about their job, did he? I mean, they were getting some pretty, wow, brother against father and, and uh, standing before governors and being rejected. And <clears throat> there was a lot of concern or a lot of things that Jesus was just saying, you can expect this. They don't like me. If they don't like me, they're not going to like you. That's kind of what Jesus is saying as he's painting this whole whole picture. And so they were prepared ahead of time to understand that it was going to be kind of a rough road. The other thing that I want to point out is Jesus was trying to help them not just understand how to talk the talk, but they needed to know how to walk the walk. So there was practical application to put into practice the things that Jesus had been teaching them. Well, I think the cool thing about Scripture is that often 
even though it was written a long time ago, it has personal application to each one of us here this morning. And, and though this was written to the disciples, the 12 disciples at the time that were going out by two, it's directed towards all his disciples today. And, and can we affirm, are we his disciples here in the building this morning? Amen. We are his disciples. So I think it's important that we try to understand why is it that as his disciples, there's a challenge from or, or a disconnect from our, our glorious infatuation and love for Jesus, but taking time to speak to people about this Jesus that means so much to us that so desperately need him. And I want to look at Matthew 10 this morning and come up with some objections that we have heard. I'm sure some of you maybe have heard, I've used, some of you have maybe used, that are going to be addressed in Matthew 10. And uh, I think these are excuses. I don't think they're really justifiable, but they're excuses that are being used. And I want to look at the text that I just read to further explain why those excuses fall short as ever being a, a, a proper reason not to share about Jesus Christ. So let's just go right on and list the first excuse that, that I've heard often. I don't know what to say or how to say it or I feel inadequate when it comes to sharing my faith. That's excuse number one. So let's go back and look at a passage because I want to I point out to you that it's not really you who's saying anything. Okay? Matthew 10, 19, and 20. But when they deliver you up, be not anxious how or what you shall speak. For it shall be given you in that hour what you shall speak. For it is not you, ye, that speak, but the Spirit of your Father that speaketh in you. This, is, this whole concept of us sharing our faith about, to others, us sharing about Jesus Christ to others, we're not on an island. It's not a one-man show where all the pressure is on our shoulders. God's saying, I'll give you the words to speak. God all, all also says, I'll bring the people to you if you're sensitive and just be willing to be my vessel. And I think one of the most powerful reminders for me when I start thinking about, well, how's this going to look? I'm kind of afraid how it's going to work. In Matthew 28, verse 20, and it's, uh, it's the end of the Great Commission, he says this, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And this is what I want to point out. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Warren, when you were in the Philippines, was Jesus with you? Amen. Dan, when you went to the Philippines, was Jesus with you? Yes, when you were in... Dad, well, I may not try that. Dad and Dan, when you went to Nigeria, was Jesus with you? Yes. I know when we went 
to Haiti, Jesus was with us. I know that when we were in Israel, Jesus was with us. I know that anyone here that's ever been on a mission trip anywhere, Jesus was with you. I know right now, as we sit here, Jesus is with us. It's just a powerful truth and testimony that He is always with us. So when we begin to exercise in areas that may be a little bit uncomfortable, it's not on your own strength, and it's not in your own doing. It's because Jesus Christ is there to empower and to encourage you. So that's the first one. The second objection. Have any of you ever said, I can't handle being rejected? I don't like the rejection. I have a fear of man. I'm afraid to offend someone. This is the second objection we hear quite often. And let's go look at uh, verses 24 through 28. So Matthew 10, 24 through 28. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his teacher, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more them of his household? For Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak ye in the light. More, and what, no problem. And what you hear in the ear, proclaim upon the housetops. And be not afraid of them that kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy the body and the soul in hell. So this morning as we discuss this whole concept of I fear, I fear rejection, I fear man, and I'm afraid that I offend someone, here's, here's where the fear, there needs to be a fear, okay? At the end of that passage, fear is valid, but it's fear of God. It's not fearing what man says, what man may do. The truth is, is that Rejection is a simple fact of the Christian life. I don't want to paint an ugly picture here, okay? I honestly don't. But we're going to be rejected. It's just part of it. Jesus says, if they call me Beelzebub, which Beelzebub was, they basically called Jesus a demon. Okay, It was a very disrespectful term to Jesus. Beelzebub referred to the God of Baal. If they call me Beelzebub, which, which was like, if they're going to go to the extent that they call me this, you can be sure that you're going to deal with issues. You can be sure you're going to have problems. And so, I, if you are hoping you can be a Christian and you can be in a popularity contest, they don't mesh. And... It's not going to get any better as we go forward. It's just not going to get any better. Number three, objection. So the first objection was, uh, can someone say something? Do you remember? I don't know what to say. Okay, good. 
First objection, not knowing what to say. Second objection, fear of man. Good job. If I had gold stars, I'd be giving them out. Third, third objection, probably the most common that we hear. That, well, that fear of offending something was part of the second objection, but here's the third one. The third one, that's not my calling. I'm not called to be an evangelist. I'm not comfortable talking about my faith. That's the third one. Listen to this. Uh, Matthew 10, verses 37 through 39. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that doth not taketh his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. So, it's pretty clear that you have a choice as a Christian to not say a word about Jesus to others. You have a choice. Okay? I would, I would want to humbly submit that it's not a good choice. Okay? But that is a choice. But Jesus is telling us that there's a cost. You, we have to deny ourselves and follow Him. We have to pick up our cross daily and follow Him. And there's actually, I, I kind of like idioms. Do you know what idioms are? And I didn't say idiot. I wasn't saying I'm an idiot. I was saying I kind of like idioms. And idioms are just funny word usages. And I've got a couple here this morning. And there's an old idiom that says, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Okay, And the whole concept of that is, is if you love your cake and you want to keep your cake, you can't eat it. But if you love the taste of cake and you eat your cake, you can't have it anymore. You follow me a little bit? As true disciples of Jesus Christ, we have a you can't have your cake and eat it too issue with sharing our faith about Jesus. Because as true disciples, we have to share about Jesus Christ. That's what the true disciple is, is a follower. Not only is it with these or this, it's actually with how we live our life, which is even more important. Uh, I think it was St. Francis of Assisi that said, preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. So, we're always preaching as believers, but we may not always be saying something with our mouth. And as true disciples, we don't have the opportunity to make a decision, I'm not, I'm not going to share about Jesus Christ. It is, we own that. Jesus is asking us and expecting us to be vocal about our faith to others that need him. There seems to be an unwritten societal law, okay? And, I, and I've heard this a lot. There's an unwritten societal law. You never discuss politics or religion. Well, I, I just turned 60. I'm going on 61. 
And um, this past election, it was the most aggressive year for people sharing their political views and their political party that I've ever seen in my life. And I could probably ask some that are older if, I, if it's the most they've ever seen. So the, the idea that you don't share politics, that's out the window now because got, it got in-your-face sharing this past election. So now it's just down to you should never share religion. And can I just say that's a lie? Can I just say that's a lie? If society is telling us you shouldn't share your faith, share about your faith, that's a lie. Because Scripture is telling us the contrary. As a matter of fact, Jesus never asked us to sit on the sidelines and cheer for His cause. Can someone find me that verse? No. He never asked us to sit on the sidelines and cheer for His cause. So, there's another adage that I'm going to throw out here, since we or idiom, since we uh, are playing with words a little bit, and, and it's the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Anyone heard that? The proof of the pudding is in the eating. You'll never know how good pudding is until you taste it. It may look wonderful, and it may have tons of baking soda in it, and it tastes terrible. And the reason that I say this is because we originally talked about the 12 disciples and Jesus' words to them. And they went out, and they did their ministry, and they came back. And it was, it was a roaring, there was a lot of excitement with what the disciples were able to see in their ministry. It was a powerful time for them. But we really don't get to hear much more about how the disciples did in their lifelong devotion. Did they hang in there? And so I want to read to you the end of the disciples. Because if the proof of the pudding is in the tasting, then the proof of the disciples' lifestyle after they were influenced by Jesus will be how they live their lives. So listen to this. Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, killed by a sword. Mark died in Alexandria, Egypt, after being dragged by horses through the streets until he was dead. Luke was hanged in Greece as a result of his tremendous preaching to the lost. John faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin or cauldron of boiling oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. However, he was miraculously delivered from death. He was then sentenced to the mines. They couldn't kill this guy. They ended up sending him off to the island of Patmos. They, what do you do with someone that won't die? They, they, they had to hide him. Peter was crucified upside down on a cross. According to church tradition, it was because he told his tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus Christ had died. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, was thrown down over a hundred feet from a pinnacle of the temple when he refused to deny his faith in Jesus Christ. When they discovered he survived the fall, his enemies beat him to death with a fuller's club. James, the son of Zebedee, was a fisherman by trade, and as a strong leader of the church, he was beheaded at Jerusalem 
A little side note, the Roman officer who guarded James watched in amazement as James defended his faith at his trial. Later, the officer walked beside James in the place of execution. Overcome by conviction, the Roman officer declared his new faith to the judge and knelt beside James, James to accept beheading as a Christian. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, who was a missionary to Asia, was martyred for his preaching in Armenia, where he was flayed to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Greece. After being whipped severely by seven soldiers, they tied his body to the cross with cords to prolong his agony. His followers reported that when he was led toward the cross, Andrew saluted it in these words, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. He continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he died. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during his missionary journey there. And uh, Catherine and I were able to visit that church. Jude was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Matthias the apostle chosen to replace the traitor, Judas, was stoned and then beheaded. So did the disciples live up to the fervency and the commitment and the understanding of their role as believers in Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. The, their, their life example is a powerful testimony the church has been described as a professional football game. 22 men on the field in desperate need of rest and 75,000 fans in the stands in desperate need of exercise. Did you hear that? 22 men on the field in desperate need of rest and 75,000 fans in the stands in desperate need of exercise. Saints, we got to get we got to get going. We got to get serious as disciples about sharing about Jesus Christ. I I found a story, and uh, just humor me a little bit. I think it's a little bit off, but it gives you the definition. It gives you kind of an idea. There's a legend that recounts the return of Jesus to glory after his time on earth. Even in heaven, he bore the marks of his earthly pilgrimage with its cruel cross and shameful death. The angel Gabriel approached him and said, Master, you must have suffered terribly for men down there. He replied that he did. Gabriel continued, And do they now know and appreciate how much you love them and what you did for them? Jesus replied, Oh no. Not yet. Right now, only a handful of people in Palestine know. But Gabriel was perplexed. He asked, Then what have you done to let everyone know of your love for them? Jesus said, I've asked Peter, James, and John, and a few more friends to tell others about me. Those who are told will tell others, in turn, about me. And my story will be spread to the furthest reaches of the globe. Ultimately, all of mankind will have heard about my life and about what I have done. Gabriel frowned and looked rather skeptical. 
He well knew what poor stuff men were made of. He said, yes, but what if Peter, James, and John grow weary? What if the people who come after them forget? What if way down in the 21st century, people just don't tell others about you? And Jesus answered, I haven't made any other plans. I'm counting on them. 20 centuries, 21st centuries, 21 centuries later, he still has no other plan. He's counting on you and me. High on God's to-do list is the evangelism of the world. His early disciples adopted his priorities and devoted themselves to reaching the world, as we just read earlier. This morning, I believe the Lord would challenge you to get out of your seat, strap on your gear, and get in the game. Now, let's hear the words that Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, as he was getting ready to depart. These are the words he said to those same disciples, and he says to us. And Jesus came to them and spoke unto them, saying, All authority had been given unto me in heaven on earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you to you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. So go therefore, saints, and make disciples. Let us pray. Precious Heavenly Father, we're grateful that all this is done in the empowering of your Holy Spirit. As we've prayed for a, a new infilling of your Holy Spirit this morning, with that infilling, would you grant boldness for us to share? Lord, each person here could think of someone in their sphere of influence that needs you. And we pray for divine appointments. We pray for the opportunity to speak into their life, to show that we care and love them. We also pray that you help this Jesus that means so much to us to become more and more, uh, that it becomes more important, more and more important to us to share with others who don't know this Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness and goodness and your love and mercy. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.